in chapter 11. And uh, the title of this morning's message is, Who Are You Asking? So just a simple question, who are you asking? So again, if you will, please stand with me and we'll read a few verses here out of Matthew chapter 11. All right. So verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples... He went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Father, that couldn't be a more applicable question for the time and the season in which we're in right now. Not only in time of Christmas, but also in the season we're in as far as the history of mankind is. Lord, we, um, we are caught in this place to where we have many people who are looking in so many different directions for the answers that can only be found in Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that this morning, Lord, that we were asking the question... Lord, to, uh, to the right, in the right direction and, and asking the right person how it is that we can find life, how is it that we can know um, your grace and your love and forgiveness, Lord. I pray that this would be a, a day in which we have ears to hear, hearts to obey, and Lord, we have eyes to see those things which we, you have for us to see this morning through your word, through scripture. And so, Lord, we commit this morning into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, just as we've covered uh, the last few weeks, uh, we know that just prior to this, Jesus had just uh, spent some time instructing his disciples. We know that at the beginning of chapter 10, we, are, uh, we see there reference the 12 disciples. And so he brings them in and, and, and he's teaching them these things. In fact, what he's preparing them for is to go to the Jewish people and to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In this preparation, Jesus was very clear that there would be many people who would not believe and that those that there would be people who would not only just uh, oppose him, but they would oppose him and oppose them personally and aggressively. Even describing their mission as Jesus sending them out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Can you imagine that? I'm going to prepare you to go out, go out and proclaim the good news to all the Jews first. Don't, Don't worry about the Gentiles. The Gentiles will come, but first to the Jews. And by the way, I'm sending you out, I'm describing to you exactly what's, what's going to happen. And, and I'm telling you, you're going to feel, and it's going to be like as if I'm sending you, sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And at this point, Jesus uses this question, this question that John the Baptist had sent his disciples to Jesus to ask. He uses this question to address something very important with the people who were there surrounding him, following him, looking to him for something, for answers. 
many minutes, the answer to the question, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Like I kind of mentioned in the prayer, that's one of the things that we're doing even today. The world is looking for someone to answer that question. You know, who is it that we're looking for? What is it that we're looking for? Where is it that we'll find contentment, satisfaction? Just knowing that there is more to this life than what we have found it to be. You've got to ask the right person, though. But what I found is that less and less this question is even being asked. People aren't asking this question very much, is what I've seen. It's more of you, you look to all kinds of, you can look to your job, your career. You can even look to Google, unfortunately, and have all the answers to life. Siri, maybe? But the answer to this question is very important. Jesus uses this question to address who he is. He uses this question to explain to them also who John the Baptist was. And he uses this question to ask the question to them. Where is it that they stand? Are you one of those people in this generation that is very critical of everything and everyone around you to the point to where nothing satisfies you? Or have you come to know that person who has been known to be the friend of sinners? Have you come to know him, Jesus Christ? Not only as Lord, not only as God, but truly as, as Savior, as your personal Lord in your life, the one whom you follow. Jesus is no longer speaking to just the 12 disciples at this point, but he's speaking as we read here, as we, as we read here in verse 7, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. So he, he wasn't speaking to just the 12, he was speaking to a whole bunch of people now who are following him. In one sense, I see this as being an example of what Jesus had just told his disciples they would encounter. A lot of people were around him. And we have these disciples of John the Baptist coming to Jesus, and they asked him this question, and it wasn't like Jesus was sweating it, right? Like, what is it that I'm going to tell them at this point? You see, Jesus perfectly trusted that he would have the right words to speak. And likewise, as people approach us, as we come to know the Lord intimately, we too shouldn't sweat it. We shouldn't be anxious. We shouldn't be stressed out as far as how is it that I'm going to respond to someone who asks me about the hope that lies within me. I can tell them without skipping a beat who Jesus is in my life, how it is that God demonstrated his love toward me, who I was, who I am now, who I was Without Christ, who I am now with Christ. And I see this in one sense again, that this was an example of exactly what Jesus told them they would encounter and what to say when they are examined. 
Jesus told his disciples, Do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. In another sense, I see this as a moment that is seized by Jesus to address who he is, who John the Baptist is. I mean, he's on scene right now. He had been arrested, and we know that to be uh, a fact, because back in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, we are told that John the Baptist had been arrested. And then Jesus went on from there into the area of Galilee. But he used this moment to also direct the people's attention to who they are. I I think the one thing that we need to come to be aware of is, is where we stand when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we truly stand on the truth? Do we truly stand with Christ or... Or do we not stand with Christ? Now, the answer to these, these questions will vary depending on who you ask. If you wanted answers to questions pertaining to who Jesus is, I would not direct you to someone who thinks they know or perhaps have even made up their own description of who he is. We have a lot of people out there, don't we? It's like if you, you were to ask the world, you know, what is love? Oh, you would have all kinds of answers, wouldn't you? Who is God? And I love the question, who is God to you? Right? And we ask that question a lot. We allow people to answer that question without any knowledge whatsoever. It's interesting. Talk show hosts, you know. Who's God to you? Well, that's whatever you make him to be. No, he's not. He's not at all. I would go, if I wanted to know about a specific skill, about something specific, I would go to the person who is an expert in that field, wouldn't you? It's like, well, I, I want to learn. I, I have this interest in, um, in operating on people. So I'm just curious. What do you guys think about it? Huh? Just, just with a scalpel, go for it. Would, would it be okay to carve someone out, right? In one sense, a doctor, a surgeon is allowed to carve on someone, but someone else with a different kind of a knife and different intentions, not so much, right? But who would you go, go to? You would go to someone who's an expert in that field, right? You would go and sit under the instruction of people who can teach you these things. Well, where would you go? If you have the question, who, who is God? You'd go right here. You'd go to the Bible. You'd go to people who know exactly who God is. Where do you find salvation? Oh, you know, all roads lead to God. You know, you go here, you go there, wherever, whatever you feel like doing, go ahead and do it. Are they experts in salvation? Do they really know or are they just making it up? A lot of people just make it up. Go to the Word of God. It matters who you ask. If you had the question about who God is, I would send you to the Word of God. If you had the question about salvation, I'd send you to the Word of God. If you had questions about life, godliness, I would send you to the Word of God. It matters who you are asking. 
Is Jesus the one? Again, back in verse 1, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, what he's saying there may not necessarily be that he went into the cities that the 12 disciples came from. But in general, into that area, those of the people, he went to those cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you, you, what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, we need to keep in mind who's asking this question. Who, who sent these guys over to Jesus to ask him this question? Are you the one? Or should we be looking for someone else? Uh, turn with me. Put your, leave your finger there and then turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, just a, a little reminder as to who is asking this question. Verse 29. The next day, he, that is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And so we're reminded, this, by the way, what I just read was previous to John uh, being arrested, being thrown in prison, and then sending his disciples to go and ask this question of Jesus, are you the one or should we be looking for someone else? And as we read there, even a couple of John the Baptist's disciples stopped, stopped following John the Baptist and started following Jesus Christ when John had seen Jesus the second day and said the same thing, the Lamb of God. It was at the time that John was in prison that he sent his disciples. I can't help but to think sometimes as we're in stressful situations um, that, that sometimes we're, we could be kind of in doubt as to how it is that the Lord's working in our very own lives. Because there are those who were touched by Jesus and were healed physically. The dead were raised. Hope was given to those who were poor. And those who are not offended by Jesus, he said, are blessed. 
But again, the question we must ask is, why, why was John asking this question? Was it that his trial in prison had brought him to, the, to a place of confusion, of perhaps doubting? John hadn't seen or heard about any political deliverance by Jesus. Now, I remind you that the Jewish people were under Roman rule. And so the Jews believed that there was, there, the Messiah is one who will deliver them, who will rise up as a political figure, who will reign, who will bring them out of any kind of bondage that they are under as far as uh, political rulers are concerned. So if Jesus was the coming one, the Messiah, then surely he could have also not only delivered the people, but delivered John from imprisonment. John chapter 3. Let's read here. John chapter 3. In verse 30. John 3.30 is, is a verse that many people commit to memory. He must increase, but I must decrease. And then he goes, and these are John's words. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives a spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Again, not to go through it in detail, but I I wanted to just give you a good picture of who it was that was asking this question. He had already spoken these words. He had known, hey, listen, he, the Lamb of God, the one whom I have identified two times baptized in the Jordan, this is of whom I, I speak of. He is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God. He's the one that should be increasing while we continually decrease. There's a way in which we can believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and even our Savior not believe that He's doing enough in our lives personally. It happens all the time. It's quite common. It's like, have you ever heard the expression, if God is so good, then why does He allow and fill in the blank? Right? Right? We live in a fallen world. It it wasn't his fault. We're given the power to choose. We have free will. We can choose to obey him, and we can choose to disobey him. In the garden, we know that Adam and Eve chose to disobey. At some point... God sent His only begotten Son, and whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He's our Redeemer. He's the one who came to pay for that which we were guilty of on the cross, and He shed His blood. And it's through Him that we have forgiveness of sins, and we are redeemed to the Father 
through the Son. We can oftentimes cry out, Savior, and at the same time, not surrender and yield to Him as Lord. And that is through disbelief, through doubt, not believing that He's doing enough in our lives personally. Jesus is the one who has come. Will you look for another? And that's the question, really. Because ultimately, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, is what the Bible tells us, to the one who is in Christ. What are you looking for? What will satisfy you? Is not forgiveness of sin, grace, and salvation enough? Do you not know that in Christ, this is not home? We're pilgrims. We're, we're going through this place. No, our home is in heaven. John sixteen thirty three says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We can be courageous in Christ. We can walk with a certain hope. Not as the world gives peace, but as Jesus Christ gives peace can we walk. In complete confidence, knowing that, hey, the worst that people can do to me is actually the very thing that will welcome me into heaven itself. In spite of all the troubles one will experience in this world, in this life, to the person who is not offended by Jesus, that person will be blessed. Be at peace. Have true happiness. Have true contentment. How? Well, by knowing a peace that surpasses all understanding as you place your trust in Jesus Christ, not in mankind, not dependent on your circumstances, but rather a peace which is known by possessing salvation in Jesus Christ by God's grace, trusting in Jesus, trusting Him with everything, with your very life. He is our prize. He is our goal. And what do you see? As we continue, verse 7, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John... And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What do you see? That's what Jesus was asking. Those that have gone out now are listening to Jesus. But he's asking the crowd. He knew that within the crowd, there were many people who had initially gone out to see John the Baptist in the wilderness. What is he preaching? What is he saying? He... He's an odd-looking guy. He wears funny clothes. He eats weird food. He was preaching repentance. 
And the Lord is asking them, what, what have you come to see? What did you go and see then? And what have you come to see now? John may have doubted himself, perhaps. We don't know that. We, all we know is that he did ask that question initially. Or perhaps he wanted his disciples to hear for themselves from Jesus who he was. But either way, Jesus knew exactly who John the Baptist was. See, no matter what our doubts are, no matter what goes through our minds and our hearts, that doesn't change who God is. Not at all. He's still sovereign. He's still on the throne. It's like we could, we could rant and rave. We could say all kinds of things, but that does not change who God is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus knew exactly who John the Baptist was. And Jesus used this situation to address this crowd and explain to them exactly who John the Baptist was. Jesus asked these questions of the people to help them think this out. Like, think, think with me for a moment here. What did you see? What did you expect? There's also this question in the terminology that Jesus used, in the words that he used. He, he, he asked, were you distracted? When you went out to go listen to John the Baptist, were you, were you distracted? Were you disappointed? The statement, the question that he asked her, what did you go out into the wilderness to see a reed shaken by the wind? It's, it's, a, it's a phrase that was used to ask if um, perhaps you've been kind of lulled, distracted by some beautiful reeds that are just kind of being tossed to and fro by the wind at that time. Is that what you saw out in the wilderness? Were you distracted? Or maybe you were disappointed. If you've, if you've ever been out in the countryside and experienced laying down under a huge tree, I, I remember going out to my uncle's ranch out in Winchester. You know, out in Winchester, um, it's not too far from here. And it was all open country. He had a ranch on the corner of Scott and Leon, and he had a feed store, and there was this, this stream that went right on the right next to his property, and it went through. And we'd go down to this um, this tree, and under this tree, in the summer, and we would just, uh, my cousins and I, we'd go, and I'd take my, my dad's truck at the age of like 10, 12. <laughs> it, was, it was just right down the road, dirt road. But he trusted me enough to take the truck. And so we'd go and, and, and we'd go onto the bed of the truck and just like, just, oh my God, it was so peaceful. It was amazing. You hear the, the, the leaves and, and the wind. It's just absolutely peaceful. You, you could look out by the stream and you'd see these reeds that were just kind of like just moving, just moving with the wind. Just beautiful. I mean, how can you not spend time out there and just be in awe of God's creation, just in that moment. You see a, a red-tailed hawk come through and land on one of those amazingly huge branches in the tree that was above us. Rabbits, I mean, it was just it was very serene, very peaceful. And the Lord was asking them, did you come out to see a reed shaken by the wind? Was he referring to John the Baptist? Well, he didn't make it abundantly clear, but we know that the, the, the phraseology, what, what they used in that time 
was used as a distraction? Was it a distraction to you? These things that were out there. Was it a distraction? Sometimes we can pay more attention to the things around us than what God has in front of us. We think that what's important is like the beauty that's immediate instead of the beauty and glory that we find in Jesus Christ. You've got to be careful. Have you met someone in person that you had only heard of only to be disappointed and think, wow, I totally had a different picture of what you look like. You know, like a radio personality. Have you ever, have you ever thought that? You see him in person, you're like, wow, you're a lot shorter than I thought you were. <laughs> the movies make you look so much bigger. You know, what were you going out to see is what Jesus was asking these people who were around him. What did you go out there to see? A man dressed in royal clothing? No, it's simple clothing. It's very plain. He had a very plain but very glorious message to proclaim. He was preparing the way for me. And so Jesus was asking them, were you distracted or did you really hear and see what John was saying and doing? What were you expecting to see? What is important when we come to church? How big or how small the worship team is? How big or small the number of people who attend is? Whether it's decorations are impressive or not? Who is or who is not behind the pulpit? Is it a personality you've come to hear and see? Well, not here. I haven't written a book. Although, you know, I'm, I'm preparing to write one, so just make sure you come. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, all of those things are nice, but they're not it. What is most important is that the word is being taught and it helps if one listens and is not distracted by what they see or what their expectations of the person may be. John was not an impressive man. He did not have a fancy location to preach from. He had the countryside. That was it. He preached repentance. Talk talk about a very direct message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Who wants to hear repent? That means turning from what I'm doing. Who are you to tell me to repent? Well, that's his message. And by the way, he's preparing the way for Jesus. That's it. That's all he was doing. I'm sure he didn't have a personality that was very far from what he showed externally. Very, a very simple person. He preached a simple message. John knew who he was and what he was to do. Period. And Jesus said that John, number one, was a prophet and a prophet that had been prophesied about the prophets and the law. He said, this was the man right here. This is him. Malachi 3.1 was quoted by Jesus. We also see Isaiah 40, verse 3, a voice cries. That is, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord, making straight in the desert a highway for our God. Preparing the way. Secondly, Jesus said that John was the greatest among those born of women. Other prophets announced the coming of the Messiah. John the Baptist was proclaiming the Messiah is here. 
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's right there. He's here. Thirdly, Jesus said that he was a disciplined man who lived to glorify God. He was a servant, a man who was not shaken, but did as he was sent to do. I, I love men and women that stand in the truth like that. I, to me, that is honorable. Why? Because that man will stand beside you in truth through thick and thin. He will go out and he will come in all to the glory of God. This John the Baptist was such a man. That was it. He must increase. He must continue. He, Jesus, must continually increase. While I, we, must continually decrease. Jesus said he was a prophet who came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And John fulfilled his office, that which he was sent to do. Live the purpose he was born to accomplish. And yet Jesus said, even though John is the greatest among those who have been born to a woman. Well, anyone, anyone who is in heaven is greater than he. Think about that. Sometimes we, we go to this verse and we say, oh, how great John was. He was so amazing. He was the greatest of men who were born of women. And we celebrate him, right? Well, Jesus was making it very clear. Hey, the least in heaven, though, is greater than John the Baptist. How is that? Well, because when you come to a place to where you close your eyes here and you open them up in heaven, when you take your last breath here and you take your first in heaven, you are in all of God's glory. You're in his presence. Not for a moment, but for all eternity. You've graduated. That's, a, that's a, an eternal and perfect and glorious promotion. That's what that is. I know it's hard when we suffer loss. I know it's difficult when we go through these things that all of us have either gone through or will go through or are going through right now. But know this, that this is not our home. It's not for those who are in Christ. For, for Christians, this is as bad as it'll get. For non-believers, this is as good as it'll get. This is it. But sometimes as Christians, we, we do cling on to this life like as if th- this was it. And it's not. This isn't it. I was thinking about this, how it is that in the Bible, I know that there's times of mourning, of all that, but for the believer... Going through the New Testament, I thought, I wonder if there was like one person, it's not recorded, a person that was yelling, no, no, no. You know what I mean? Like, like really just wanting to like, like leave me here kind of a thing. I, I don't know of one. Do you guys know of one? I was, I was thinking about it. I was like, was, was there one? Was there one that was just trying to just hold on to this world? Maybe some that were trying to cling to this world because they were, they were not of the Lord, but not one. Because going into the Lord's presence, that's the ultimate. The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force is what he said here. 
We need to know this, that Satan does not give up on people peacefully. It's like, hey, go ahead and go. Want to go? No, Satan is grabbing you. He's trying to tear you down. He's trying to destroy you. He's trying to kill you. Nor does he give up on people once they are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He doesn't give up. He wants to still bring you down. Satan seeks to steal your joy and grace, kill your hope in Christ, and destroy your zeal for God. He wants to do all of those things. There is always a war that is raging in the heavenlies over you and between the forces of evil and the forces of good. Heaven is not a place Satan wants you to go peacefully to, and hell is not a place God wants you to go peacefully to. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We need to be aware of that. So Jesus was asking the crowd, when all, with all this said and done, he's asking the crowd, what did you see? What do you see now? What do you understand? It's important that you pay attention to what you hear. He who has ears to hear, he says, let him hear. There's other translations that say, he who has ears. Hey, if you, if you have some ears, use them, is what he's saying. You got, you got to use them. Listen to the words that are being spoken. And finally, who do you say he is? Verse 16, But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, but they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Jesus was describing the current generation, those who were before him. This, this, is, this was his generation of the time. Those who were listening knew that very well. Very critical, not understanding, never satisfied. Has it changed? Not really, right? There's a lot of people who are critical, never satisfied, and not understanding. John was restricted in diet and baptized, and they accused him of having a demon. Jesus ate and drank, and they accused him of gluttony, being a drunkard, and having sinfully wrong associations with the wrong people, tax collectors and sinners. Mark chapter 8, verse 18 says, Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear. And do you not remember? The Lord wants us to have eyes to see. He wants us to have ears to hear. He wants us to remember what the word of God says. What they accused John and Jesus of was false. They never saw, nor did they hear anything, nor were they able to remember anything of which they accused them of. Not John having been possessed by a demon. Not even Jesus. Were you there? Did you, did you see how it was that Jesus, like, he got drunk? No, not at all. But this is what was going around. These things that people were saying 
were false. People who say false things about Jesus are people who say these things out of ignorance or are simple-minded followers of those who parrot the same ignorant words. You know, think about this. It's like our society is in this place to where we see something on Facebook, Instagram, uh, or any other place, and we just like parrot what we see, we hear. It's no different than what it was before. Groups of people who just like just pass along false information. It just gets worse and worse. So the question is, who do you say Jesus is? Because this is important for us to answer as individuals. Not what others may answer for you. Don't look to someone else to answer it for you. Who do you say Jesus is? What's the truth of the matter? The question is, is Jesus a friend of the worst of society? Is he a friend of sinners? What they were throwing out there as a dig is actually a badge of honor. Because it was known very well by those whom Jesus came in contact with, that he wasn't there to get drunk. He wasn't there to be a glutton. He was there to lead them to salvation, to help them understand that the kingdom of heaven was truly at hand. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It was true that Jesus spent some time with tax collectors and sinners of this accusation. They were correct. We've already gone through this, but in Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13, it says, And as Jesus reclined at table in in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Whose house was he at? You guys remember? Who's the tax collector? Yeah, Matthew. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. We can be self-righteous, kind of think that we're good enough, but there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one. I mean, we need to come to the realization to where, uh, okay, I, I need the great physician. I need the Lord. How is it that I'm made well? That really is the question that we should be asking. Because Jesus was in the midst of such people and is so for the purpose of saving them, not to take part in their sinful acts. What they wanted to cut at Jesus with was the very thing that led others to salvation. We are led by the love of Christ toward us. Grace, mercy, love, and the demonstration of it all by the laying down of his life on the cross for all mankind. When you come to realize that my sin, in my sin I remain condemned, Oh, but there was a way. There was a man who 2,000 years ago laid down his life for me on the cross. Jesus Christ. As he says there, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. The proof is in the pudding. In other words, Jesus demonstrated his friendship by his actions all the way to the cross. He died for them, for us and for each and every one of you. He died. 
not for the world, so to speak, in the general sense to where, hey, listen, he came whether you like it or not, he's, he's going to save you. No, we have to actually believe that he is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. That he, he died on the cross for you personally. Why? So that on the cross, your sins would be conquered, would be paid for in full. As Jesus said, to Telestai. That is, it is completely paid for. It is finished. It is done. Your sins are forgiven you as you place your trust in him. The word tells us that if, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we shall be saved. But who are you asking about salvation? Who are you asking about who God is? Is Jesus the one? Is he the one who you really look to for salvation and for wisdom and for peace and for contentment? Everything. Have you found your purpose and identity in Jesus or are you still looking to find yourself in something or someone else? Sometimes that's what we're looking for. I tell you that you'll find it nowhere else. You'll find it only in Jesus Christ. And who are you asking? Know Jesus and you will know that he is the answer to salvation and purpose and contentment and you will one day also know just how true the statement is greater is he who is in the kingdom of heaven the person who is in the kingdom of heaven than anyone who's ever walked the earth outside of jesus christ why because that's our goal that is our prize jesus christ and i pray for you this morning that you're not distracted by anything you're asking the questions to the right person. You're looking for contentment and satisfaction, purpose and identity in Jesus Christ. You will find it in Him. And if you do not know salvation, that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be a day in which you simply confess your sins to the Lord, asking Him for forgiveness and asking Him to be your Lord and Savior. I tell you, your life will be changed because you will be a whole new creature in Christ. You will have all new desires. And I tell you that you will be, even if you're the least in heaven, you'll be greater than any other person that's walking the face of the earth because you will be in all of God's glory perfectly before the Lord in his presence. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for for your grace, for your love, for your mercy. We thank you that you have the answers to everything that pertains to life and godliness according to your word. Lord, we can go to you when we lack wisdom. We can go to you when we have questions pertaining to anything. For you have the answers. Lord, most of all, we thank you for the hope that lies within us. For as we place our trust in Jesus Christ... As we confess our sins to him and ask him to be Lord and Savior, we know that we are new creatures with a whole new heart, a whole new perspective and desires for things that are eternal. And Lord, we can know a love and a, and a peace that can only be known in Jesus Christ. And so, Father... May we fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. May we run to you with great 
expectancy, Lord, knowing that all good things come from you, that you are our strength as we find joy in you, that you are our peace as we trust in you. Help us to walk with you, Lord, in love and in your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.